Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, just another nice morning out there. I'm great. How about you? Oh, great. I, I learned the trick call early. <laughs> <laughs> a wise man. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, um, I have a neighbor. I live up here uh, outside of Kerrville, other okay. side of Kerrville, about 20 minutes. And he has these things called grow boats that were made in Kerrville. And they are basically four-inch thick uh, foam, um, styrofoam, uh-huh. coated with a fabric and then a thin layer of some kind of um, mortar very, and it makes it very strong they're a sheet of plywood big eight by four they have drains in the bottom they have a, a tubular metal frame that's removable up top and um they so they don't weigh much because of the foam right and you can set them up on cinder blocks to where you don't even have to bend over and um they are growing things like mad in it. And they say in the winter, it insulates it to keep it warmer. In the summer, it does the opposite. Plus, you can put shade cloth over these things. So first blush, what do you, without seeing them, what do you think of these? So what, these things uh, have, they're, they have sides on them. They're made yeah, to be, inch, I'm sorry. Nine inch, side, nine inch deep would, is how much um, uh, soil you can put in them. Okay. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I I probably would want them a little deeper. I would want them like 18 inches deep because nine inches of soil is going to dry out pretty quickly in the summer months. Now, anything that traps air is going to be, you know, a very good insulator. And styrofoam is is a great insulator. And uh, the the concept sounds, you know, good to me now it's uh i i don't know that i would uh you know it's perhaps keeping i I can see keeping the soil a little warmer in the winter months uh if i were trying to keep soil cool in the summer months that's not how i would do it i would do something that you know has sides on it that allow evaporation through it it's like a hanging basket it's the difference in a plastic hanging basket and a wire hanging basket that's lined with sphagnum moss your soil temperature can be 10 degrees different because of that constant constant evaporation off the surface that's what lowers temperatures when water moves uh you know from the liquid state to the gaseous state it uh it cools so i don't really see anything wrong with this but i'm you know not gonna tell you it's the best thing since uh uh sliced bread or whatever else I, i it's uh i i could see you know, I think it'd be a great thing to make something like that in reverse that you could go turn over upside down over your plants for a little wintertime protection. But uh, it's, you know, if, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. And the idea, if it's strong enough, and it sounds like it is, to put that up on cinder blocks certainly makes it uh, more accessible to a person who has trouble bending over i've seen some very creative raised gardens that were made with a similar idea and and the fact that there's space underneath it means that someone who has to use a chair for mobility can actually roll up and underneath it and literally be sitting there working and growing and gardening um, you know at shoulder or or elbow height which certainly opens up gardening to a lot of people that uh 
you know, that have one physical impairment or another. So I, I think this has a lot of potential, but it's not something that I'm going to race out and stock up on 10 of them. I, like I said, I, I would want the sides a little deeper, and I probably yeah. would want sides that, you know, allow some moisture movement through them because that's going to do a whole lot more. We're not we're not worried about keeping heat out of the sides of the soil. I mean, if you want to do that, you simply paint the surface white and it reflects that heat away instead of allowing it to be absorbed like it is in a black pot. But uh, so yeah. I, I, I think it's not perfect, but I think it has some, you know, very commendable qualities. Well, they have, um, my friends have irrigation on it and, uh, and of course it has the drains underneath and they mm-hmm. can make a 12 inch deep one, but yeah. it, and it, it's full of beautiful plants. So oh yeah. They're doing something right. Yeah. Okay, so I want to grow these heirloom tomato seeds that I've had in a little baggie in my dark uh, drawer for uh, 10 years, and they make the best tomatoes, but we just started them in a greenhouse, and there I have, out of 36, I have six of them coming up very weakly. Very, they're just very frail. Okay, the um, seeds are 10 years old, or you've been growing this particular strain for 10 years? Seeds are 10 years old. Um, Am I going to have any success? Well, if the seeds sprout, uh, then you have, you know, a good chance of making a plant out of it. Uh, After that period of time, those seeds are probably pretty badly dehydrated. So I would certainly be soaking the seeds before I attempted to germinate them. I'd probably put a little Garrett juice or maybe even a little Super Thrive or something in there recognize that the seeds have a a nutrient material built into them so to speak uh the botanical term for it is endosperm which is uh like a a nutrient dense material that is has evolved to give the seedlings a nutrient source until they get a root system down to where they can take up their own. So uh, those little seedlings don't have this food reserve there. So I'm probably going to be doing a little foliar feeding, just literally misting them with has to grow or something like that. I think in this case, and it's, it's an interesting concept. Howard Garrett and I were talking about mycorrhizal fungi yesterday and, really had not occurred to me the reason why being an orchid grower since i was in the eighth grade when i started uh, i've always known that you know 150 years ago when people started trying to grow orchids from seed uh, they found that you had to inoculate the seed with a mycorrhizal fungus to get the seed to germinate and grow at all and recognizing that i realize now that orchid seed is as fine as dust and those mycorrhizae were probably responsible for helping the seed to survive long enough to start making a decent little plant. So uh, this is one case, and I I don't know how much difference it will make, but the logic is good that, uh, you know, some mycorrhizal fungus, and you can buy this very inexpensively. We've got a company up in uh, Bernie that uh, makes, it's called Wild Root Organics, that makes a good mycorrhizal product that is very inexpensive when you get small containers of it and i think it would be good to inoculate the soil uh both where you're planting the seed and you know where your little seedlings are starting but remember that the way a plant makes or stores energy uh is by absorbing the sun's energy and um 
So you need to have those little seedlings in super bright light. You need to, like I say, mist them. Don't keep your growing medium excessively wet, but you certainly don't want them to dehydrate. And once they're up and growing, there's absolutely no reason they can't turn into a you know, very strong, vigorous plant. Now, I suspect your germination rate will be low. If you're ever attempting to save seeds like this again, put them in that envelope, but don't keep it in necessarily dark place. Seal it up in a mason jar or something like that in the refrigerator because this is going to prevent the dehydration. It's going to keep the seed in much better shape than just sitting there in a, plas- in a, in a paper bag. Okay, I have in a plastic bag. Okay, great uh, ideas. You okay, but don't, don't ever put things in a plastic bag. Uh, that can lead to rotting simply because it, it collects too much moisture. But uh, uh, best thing is, they, like, say, a paper bag, but inside of a glass jar or something. I'm sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Do you sell this fungi? The fungus? Yes, we do. I think most every nursery around does. Okay, great. One last little question. I have loblolly pine, which I know doesn't live in these areas but I've been pampering it with uh, job spikes and water, but it's still yellowing. Is Mm -hmm. that because of not much sun right now? No, it's because of uh, soil. Stop using the job spikes. Those things are horrible. Uh, Switch to to a good organic fertilizer. Keep a good, and I would actually be using compost for mulch on the surface of the soil. Loblolly pine just likes an acidic soil. Our soils are very alkaline, and the more alkaline the soil becomes, the uh, less available iron becomes, and that's why you end up with the yellowing in plants that are not adapted to the alkalinity. When you keep an inch or inch and a half layer of something like good compost on the surface, you're constantly bleeding humic acids and fulvic acids and all these things that result from the decomposition of organic material. You're putting a natural acidifier into the soil, and uh, loblolly in this area, unless you're growing it in a great big container, is never going to do well. We do have pines that grow well here, halopensis and uh, Italian stone pine. But uh, loblolly is in slash pines and even Japanese black are very much in East Texas pine where they have more acidic soils. But uh, you, can, you can grow it at least for a while, but you're not going to have a, uh, a 40-foot tree you know, with a 25-foot canopy uh, unless you're you decided to empty your swimming pool, fill it with good soil, and grow it in a giant <laughs> container that way, it's I can't not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying you're going to work at it if you're going to do it. Okay, gotcha. Well, thank you for all your help. This is great. Always a pleasure, Doug. Let me know how those tomatoes turn out. I will. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> certainly. Bye. Goodbye. Dwight's next. Good morning, Dwight. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a whole lot for you today. Uh, you were talking to a gentleman last week or week before last about lettuce, and I thought you, he had said Nevada. Nevada is uh, our, in fact, my next caller is going to be James, but uh, he was talking about uh, some of the commercial guys. This is the lettuce that they grow on into the summer months. It seems to be able to tolerate our heat better and to grow without becoming bitter in the summer months. And, uh, James is quite an authority on many things, and I will trust in what he says. I've not tried growing it yet, so I can't give you a personal testimonial, but uh, yes, that's what he was sharing with us. 
Well, I was looking for it online, and I couldn't find anything like like Nevada. Am I spelling it wrong, maybe? I would think it's just like the state where I was this time two days ago. But uh, we'll we'll talk to James in just a second, and I will ask him. I know that Johnny Seed is one of the uh, big seed sources that he uses a lot. So if you haven't checked out, uh, and they, they have an online catalog, check out Johnny Seed and see if they have it available. But uh, we'll, we'll talk to James in just a minute or two and uh, and see if we can get a clarification on it for you, Dwight. Okay. And is it, can I uh, trim my peach trees uh, this time of year? Excellent time to do it. You you thin more than you prune. But uh, I would want to get it done in the next week or two because they are budding out early this year. Okay. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm well, sir. How about yourself? Well, just looking at this weather, it looks like it's pretty good for ducks. <laughs> but, you know, well, we know that things aren't dehydrating this morning, that's for sure. And uh, they're saying we're going to get some sunshine. We're going to be up in the 70s for the next two or three days before uh, we get a little chilly again. So that's, uh, you know, that that's a pretty good start for spring uh, for me. Well, I kind of forgot what the sun looked like. It's been so long. It's... <laughs> remember you 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 weren't in nevada last week like i was there's plenty of it out there all right hey i called uh, to get some uh information uh on the medina fertilizer product i got a hold of some uh it's uh, like uh microbes cultured microbes and Mm -hmm. i'm not real sure uh what's i don't think there's a mycorrhiza in there is is there yeah, Stuart puts a mycorrhizal fungus in almost everything that they do, at least in the dry products. I'm not sure if they can put it in liquid products, but, you know, it's, and, and Ms. Dina does this. I'm sure some of the other companies do it. They are allowed, as long as it's not what they would call active, as long as it's not, you know, like a, a fertilizer nutrient or whatever, they can put things in the bag uh, without putting it on the label. Now, if they say that they have put mycorrhizae in there, they have to spend a lot of money and they have to prove that it's in there. And I'm not telling any secrets, I don't think, and I, hopefully I'm not violating any of the Agriculture Department's rules, but uh, uh, Medina does put mycorrhizae in their growing green and in a number of their other products uh they just don't put it on the bag because every time you put something on the bag you have to prove it every time you have to prove it it costs money if it costs money they have to raise the prices so uh that that's why they don't put it on there but i know the majority of the medina products will have mycorrhizae in there whether they say it or not it looks just like the dry powder product that i get from bright ideas yeah. uh, uh it's uh it looks just like it. So. You know, you call Stuart. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give you a cell phone, but you can you can call the office over there, and Stuart's a good man about calling you back whenever you need to talk to him, and he'll share with you anything you want to know about. Uh, I don't think the I don't think it's proprietary. I don't think it's you know like a secret. Most most good gardeners have learned what Malcolm taught us all a number of years ago that knowledge is meant to be shared, not not hoarded and people who share knowledge tend to prosper much better and that's kind of the philosophy that Stuart and his family have always lived with yeah i'll give him a call yeah. uh, hey on that uh on the nevada 
on the Nevada lettuce, uh, Johnny's has got everything you need. Okay, okay. Uh, Except for maybe Baker Creek, which has got all your, you know, the ones you like. But uh, Johnny's has got a pelletized Nevada and uh, the naked seed. But and you like like the. You like the pelletized just because they're so much easier. In this season, don't buy too much. If you use it up in the season, you're good. Don't try to keep it more than the season. Yeah, that's that's good advice on most all kinds of seed. Yeah, they're really easy to seed the uh, soil blocks and trays with those little pellets. And uh, we're going to run another uh, load of uh, the uh, green butter. uh, Excuse me, red butterhead. Uh huh. uh, uh, First of the month, and maybe another sowing. Uh, the middle of next month, and then that's going to be <clears throat> it for the butterheads and the uh, butter crunches. And then probably at the end of the month, as we start on in Nevada, uh, the only thing is, if you want to carry it, you know, it's it's called a summer crisp. Uh huh. Is, is the name of what it is. And if you want to carry it into the summer, you're going to have to uh, forget about the 30% shade. You're going to have to get 50% shade uh, above it. Sure. Well, and you can do that by just basically, if you don't want to buy more and you have enough of it, just double up on your layers. Uh, thirty, you know, thirty percent shade on top of thirty percent shade yields somewhere between I think forty-eight and fifty percent shade. So you can do whatever you like. Go buy yourself a new piece of shade cloth and try it. Trade them out, or just uh, put a second layer on that you can pull off after after summer's over. Yeah, I put the thirty uh, percent on the. Uh uh, hoop house uh, when it starts warming up on the tomatoes, and then I, I'm growing the lettuce in a, uh, a root maker uh, a green root bag in uh-huh. the cinder blocks in, in the in the uh, hoop house. It makes it real easy to grow lettuce. They kind of like cool roots, and you know they they grow really well in those cinder blocks. You know, and and that's something that I think everybody needs to learn that when uh, that the temperature of the root system has. probably more to do with how well a plant tolerates both cold and hot than necessarily the temperature of the foliage. And that's just something that's real important to remember. I'm glad you brought it up. You can plant uh, in those cinder blocks without a a root maker bag, but you you can't get get anything out of it. So (laughs) it's real easy. uh, Once you finish the crop of lettuce, just pull those bags out and dump them and then refill them and and, uh, put your transplants in them. It's a real nice way to go lettuce. No, it's it's a great way to do it. Nevada is a is a green lettuce rather than red lettuce, isn't it? Yeah, it's a summer crisp, and and there's another word for it: B A T A B I N or something like that. Mm. I, I don't know if that's a French name or what, but it's a it's a summer crisp that uh, Johnny's has been selling for a while. Very you good. Really well, I have fun with with lettuce uh, that. That Johnny Seed is the way to go, man. They've got it all. <laughs> well, I hope you will check that website. I that's I knew that you get a lot of seed from Johnny's, and so that's why I told him to check there. And uh, I'm glad that worked out to be right for this particular seed. Anything else going on in your operation uh, this time of year? Oh, we're, we're trying to get some uh, uh, tomato beds worked up, but it's it's awful hard with the the moisture levels that we've got. Uh, you've got to put in a whole lot of compost to get your planting holes worked up. Yeah. Um, I don't know about your garden. It's probably a little bit better than mine, but I, I've got to put about two gallons of compost down to work that in to get enough uh, 
room to transplant. Oh, yeah. I I don't know where it goes, you know. It uh uh, I think I do everything that I possibly can to build organic material, and yet it's just like that that old soil just eats up that compost. Is probably because folks were gardening in uh, the same spot I gardened for 60 or 80 years before we started learning the importance of doing it organically. So I'm I'm overcoming a couple of generations of people before me that didn't do it right. So I'm with you. It's, uh, it's just a person can't use too much compost. In fact, if it's if it's finished. I think he'd probably grow in straight compost, but um, just nobody has enough compost to do that. The tomato grafting project we're doing out at the farm, we'll, uh, I got about 90% success this year, which is amazing to me. Um, I only killed just a few of them. Uh, we're going to grow them out, and then I'll have a report for you at the end of the summer telling you how everything worked out on the grafted tomatoes. Yeah, you know, you need to do the same thing that I probably need to do, and that is uh, get yourself a a good uh, intern, you might say, that's uh, that's very savvy on uh, on the tech world to, of today, and make some videos of some of these things you're doing, and put them up there on YouTube or something where people can share them. Uh, we had a fellow for a while that was videotaping our seminars and putting them up, but then I think he graduated and went off to school somewhere else or something like that. But uh, I know there are a lot of folks that love to see how uh, how Farmer James does things because you obviously do it right and do it very successfully. Well, hopefully that'll come. We've got we've got a guy that's uh, taking a, a grafting course and is uh, computer savvy, so we'll. I'll be there one of these days and have some uh, some videos to show you, hopefully. We'll all look forward to seeing it, James. You have a great week, and we'll talk again. Have a good day. You guys have fun in the garden. Amen. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Zahn's turn. Good morning, Zahn. Quack, quack. That's Mallard talk for good morning. <laughs> yep. Growing a little, growing a little uh, webbing between your toes, huh? Yes, sir. And, you know, you explaining to James the labeling for Medina, that has to explain the high cost of groceries when you go buy a loaf of bread, if you look at that label. Well, yeah, it may. It's, it, it's a dissertation. Yeah, of it's ingredients. Yeah, it's <laughs> everything it's, they make. It's it's a little different in the edible industry, but uh, yeah, I'm sure it has something to do with it. And plus, just labor. You know, there are a lot of things a machine can do, but a machine cannot make good bread beyond a certain point. And there are a lot of things that that just cannot be automated and. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think it's worth worth the money to get something's a little bit better than uh, what they what they sell to the to the fast food places. My mother was an outstanding bread baker maker and mm-hmm. taught my wife forty five years ago, and we have baked bread all the time. And she gets to do different recipes and make different things, and it's so good, especially mm-hmm. when it comes right out. You, you know, it's it. it's like my grandfather. My grandfather was one of ten kids and one of the older ones, and he grew up cooking, and in his later years, those being his 90s, when he couldn't get out and go fishing on Sunday like he loved to do, he took up making bread, and man, he made apricot nut bread, he made raisin bread that'd make the stuff you buy in the grocery store look like cattle feed, so yeah, baking good bread is, if you have the time to do it and the talent to do it, man, you can uh, you can do so much better than what you buy in the store, and if you do, like my friend up at uh, Valeria Restaurant 
restaurant in Bernie, he actually imports his flour from Italy so that he doesn't have to put up with the GMOs and the pesticide residues that uh, is, you know, in so much of the commercially available flour. You can you can buy good organic flour in small quantities at a not too not too big price, but he he finds it cheaper when as much as he bakes. Uh, he finds it cheaper to bring it all the way from Italy just to get away from all the crap that's in the in in what is what most of the bread that you buy in the grocery store today. Yeah, it just proves where there's a will, there's a way, and he found an outstanding way. Yes, sir. I've got a two quick ones for okay. you. Uh, the the plumbagos did not freeze this year. Uh huh. Kind of quite tall, but they're a little lanky. And uh, I guess my question is, would they be worth trimming now or waiting until a little later in the? This month before the threat of freeze is over with. I'm going to be watching them real carefully, and I'm going to prune them just about the time that I see new growth starting on them. I'm a how little concerned. Would you prune them? Um, depends on how big you want them to be this year. I've okay. seen oh, I have okay. seen plumbago twelve feet tall. Um, I, we have a big old, uh, and, and we used to have it as a bush. We formed it into a tree now, but we've got a big old pride of Houston yopon you know planted in the ground and while that was things was still a bush we had plumbago that grew up through it and literally was between 10 and 12 feet tall with blue flowers up on top so plumbago if you support it will get as big as you want it to be i don't like it that tall i want it to be you know down in that two foot range which means i'm going to probably cut it down to about three or four inches tall when i cut it down but somebody wants a little bit bigger plant wants flowers a little bit sooner you can just give it a bit of a haircut and let it be a four foot plant assuming it doesn't freeze i'm i'm not about what is it uh, february 3rd uh we're not out of the market or not out of the you know range for still having some pretty cold weather well, my uh, pink jasmine started budding out two weeks ago, and I was yep. blown away by that. Oh, and look and, at the roses. And, uh, I mean, the roses are spectacular around town. Yeah, yeah they are. They're all over. Mm-hmm. And then one other real quick one on the, the Turk's cap. I believe that's what the, there's a native version of that, isn't there? Well, there's, yeah, there, it's uh, the genus is Malva viscous. There are several different color forms there is the one that is uh native in this area is a smaller flowered one and uh uh, what most people think of as native is the orangey red one but also there's a pink and a white form that are both beautiful well i've got a red one and it didn't freeze and it's you know anywhere from two to four foot four and Mm -hmm. a half foot stems or canes do i leave that alone or do i do a little pruning on that as well just like the just like the plumbago it it is even less likely to freeze uh turk's cap lots of years doesn't freeze back at all and uh my business partner has some of it growing native around her place is probably eight or ten feet tall i don't think i don't think i found any of it on my ranch but it it can get up uh really big if you want a bushy plant i'd keep that one i'd cut it back to two or three feet in height yeah i think i'll do that because it's right up against the fence and it's a uh-huh. pretty good sized plant finally this year it's a third three years old and I, it just looks a little lanky it's kind of bare in the center uh, uh the tops are leafed out it's kind of like a lot of our native plants you can certainly make a thicker prettier plant out of it through pruning and last one pruning on the hibiscus i've got a hibiscus in a very large pot and i protected it and it's been blooming and budding all winter and it's always full of blooms sure. it's not as big as they normally are and it's fully leafed out, and it only drops a leaf or two now and then. 
do I do anything with that or just let it get as big as it wants to get? Unless you're concerned about it getting too big, you keep feeding and watering hibiscus, bougainvilleas, uh, axoras, uh, a lot of those things that are tropical plants. This is they'll have some of the prettiest color on the flowers because of the cool nights the blooms will not be as big as they will be in hot weather but so many of the colorful hibiscus uh they're colorful because of pigments we call anthocyanins and they are always most colorful in the cooler weather so if you've got pinks or lavenders or any of those shades uh you're going to get your most intense colors this time of year so i would prune it unless you just absolutely have to Good. I don't have to do anything today. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm going to. I've got like three different invitations to uh, to go to Super Bowl gatherings this afternoon, but I don't think I'm going to go till after dark because there's just going to be too much to do outside, you know, as long as Amen. the weather cooperates. Amen to that. I think I'll go pull a couple stands. Yeah. I, <laughs> I may get the second half, but that'll be all. You get out and have a good day, Zon. It's always a pleasure Thanks, to sir. talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Bye. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines, and uh, Michelle is up first. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm great. How about you today? I am doing great as well. Good. I don't know if Farmer James is still out there listening, but I I like what you uh, said to him about the the videos. I I love to watch YouTube videos online, and it would be so cool to be able to see someone's techniques and what they're doing in the garden. It's one thing to hear it, but it's another to see it well and i totally agree with you there look at uh some time and there is a a cost related with it because it cost him a lot of money to do it uh howard garrett has quite a number of free videos but he also has what he calls his organic certification course that you can sign up to take that is like 12 uh lessons from 30 minutes to an hour long on the dirtdoctor.com website it uh, might be something interesting to you or it might be something to ask a special person to give you for a valentine's present now that's a great idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I always look forward to your calls with farmer james and i and i enjoy your advice as well i um i've been practicing what i learned from you for uh, probably about seven or eight years and i so here's my questions for you i I put the Medina out of my garden probably three times a year. Uh And then last year I started putting the molasses, the dry molasses out there. Right. And I've really noticed a difference. I think I originally started that for the firing, you know, Uh uh, repelling of that. But, I mean, it has softened my soil up just unbelievably. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to till. Um, But I I guess my question is right now, and I don't know if it's that I'm impatient, but I've got uh, spinach and kale and lettuce out there and it just feels like it's growing so slowly Mm -hmm. what can i do um well it's a mixed blessing you can pray for it to get a little warmer a little bit more quickly because as the temperatures increase i mean my spinach for instance it grows more in two weeks as the weather just starts to warm up than it grows in two months during cooler weather so um The other thing would be if we have more sunshine. We have had, while we've been somewhat warmer than typical, we've had so little sunshine. We have so many totally overcast days and so many days when we don't get any sun until 1 in the afternoon. So uh, those are the temperature, the lack of sun are the things that are holding some of those things back. And Mother Nature is going to take care of that pretty shortly. It sounds to me like the program you are on, you've put everything in the soil that you need to. The plants are sitting there 
having the nutrients they need to grow well. Um, you've got good microbial life thanks to the molasses that you put down, which is the energy source mainly for bacteria. Now we just need some of the sun's energy so the plants can process all those things that they have already absorbed. So it's it's not anything that you're doing or not doing. If you were growing under lights or something like that, yeah, you could leave the lights on longer. You could move the bulbs closer to the things. But when you're relying on old Mother Nature to give you the sunshine, we'll we'll get it when when she thinks we we need it. But that's the only thing that's holding you back, Michelle. You're doing it all right, but uh, the clouds and uh, and you know. We still aren't in a really warm weather yet. So when those two things change, you're going to see an explosion of growth from the plants you mentioned. Okay, so it's patience. Yeah, <laughs> that's what okay. I always say. The little boy's prayer is, dear Lord, give me patience and please hurry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question two is real quick, and then I have a, a, another third one. Um, Swiss chard, I have just a few of the leaves have little brown spots, and I think there's some things flying around. Is that mm-hmm. is that a bug bite? It could be, or it could be where you've had droplets of water standing when we did get some bright sun, and it just literally fried the soft tissue underneath it. Uh, I think that's as likely as, uh, it's not really a bug bite, but sometimes you'll have things just eat a little bit out of the underside of the leaf and you end up with brown spots. But uh, And it could be, there are so many fungi out there when we have this kind of weather. It could be a little fungal spot, but just, you know, chop things up when you put them in the salad or cook them or whatever and nobody will notice. It's not going to, there's nothing in there that's going to be, inedible or bad tasting or anything it's just uh we've been we've been told that we should have cosmetically beautiful vegetables and it just doesn't always work that way (laughs) right okay um and then last question when i first started my gardening i i put out a really thick layer of the cedar mulch Uh and just wanting to retain the moisture and and one year several years ago you know i was growing green beans in the summer and of course fighting the drought and i was out there just watering and watering and watering and I mean, you just can't hardly get enough water. And I did install the Rainbird drip um, uh-huh. uh, several years ago, and that really helped a lot. Um, but anyway, as I was watering, I, I realized I'm, I'm putting so much water down, and it just seems like the cedar mulch is drinking it up, and none of it, none of it, none of it is soaking through to the soil itself to water my green beans because they were really suffering from drought. Right. So, I decided just to let that kind of decompose into the soil, and, and I went for a year or two without really any uh, kind of mulch. And, of course, the, the oxalis and the weeds and stuff kind of came in to some degree, but it wasn't intolerable, and it was over the winter season, so I was getting good rains kind of like today, and, and it kept the soil pretty uh, moist. But last year I decided to do a mixture of my oak leaves, and whenever I'd mow, I'd use my green glass, grass clippings and kind of mix that up and make mm-hmm. a mulch out of that. And I just wanted your thoughts on on that or mulching in general. Well, there are very few single-sourced mulches, so to speak, that uh, you can put out that won't, to some degree, you know, form that layer. Um, I love cedar mulches, but, man, if you want to make them a lot better, mix some compost with them because that will let the water penetrate through better. Um, one of the things that cedar does that makes it an excellent mulch, it grows a fungus as it breaks down, 
which uh, actually tra- traps and destroys root knot nematodes and some other things. So, uh, you know, I love mulches, but I'm like you. I mean, we have, my business partner and I have uh, piles of cedar where we've chipped our own cedar that are four and five feet high, and you get below two, three inches, it's perfectly dry on the inside. Um, what I always try to do when I'm going to use this mulch is mix maybe one part compost to two part cedar. That way the water tends to penetrate much, much better. And I think it makes, uh, you know, makes it a much better mulch. Now in the forest, uh, the cedar is dropping gradually and you've always got that, that compost in effect at the bottom layer next to mineral soil but when we're putting a material directly on top of the soil we don't have that you know 80 percent composted material underneath it and that's why it can get you know almost hydrophobic it, it can almost push the water away uh, so mix a little bit of compost in with it when you put it down and i think the problem will go away that, yeah that's good i didn't do that so i appreciate that thought as always i thank you for your show learn a lot always a pleasure i hope you enjoy your gardening a little bit more because of it and you call me anytime yes great questions so love discussing things with you michelle get out and have a great sunday all right back to gardening and to line number two good morning joe bob good morning sir um i'm in beeville okay been here 25 years as long nearly as long as you've been on the radio (laughs) almost before that before that uh my wife and i were under the tutelage of Malcolm or or um, Howard or whoever, you know. Right. And uh, we lived down here when we bought this place. The grass uh, that was in the part of the one acre <clears throat> that was um, growing was very vigorous and green, and the runners ran over its San Augustine. The runners ran over each other and so on. And in all those years, uh, we uh, watered and mowed and watered and mowed and cut about, you know, three, three and a half inches high. Right. Never had to rake anything. It always went back in. Always was quite pleased, and our yard always did better than others in the area. And, of course, we kind of watch. So then I got to noticing that, you know, the grass gradually spread beyond and so on, just uh, climbed its way on out to the edge and under the fence and so on. We mow that, too. And... Um, then I got to noticing that in the uh, in between, you know, the spots that did not get shade in the day, they would stress out in the really hot times. And so mm-hmm. we we always watered with a hose and a sprinkler and watered for a good while and let it get really good and wet. And then we'd turn it off. And then before it, you know, when the ground got hard, sure. before it really stressed the grass, water it again. Anyway, over the years, our lawn has gotten less good, and other lawns in Beeville with all sorts of cultural practices have gotten less good and the only places that you see grass even in the neighborhood or in the town that's good is either if it's by a a faucet that's gripping Uh and it's somewhat vigorous there or it's in somebody's yard where they just ignore it and when it and when it rains it it comes out and gets green you know (laughs) right My, my grass I grew up raising wheat, sure. and, I, and I know what wheat rust is, Right. and my grass uh, begins to yellow, and, and from time to time, we may have had a brown spot or something once in, you know, in, in weather and climate things, where it just, grass just died out and grew right back in, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not it. It's, it's field to field, corner to corner, and the grass is, is uh, spotted with rust spots and turned yellow, and now the rhizomes in places in my yard, even in the shade and out of the shade, I thought, well, that's in the shade. No, out of the shade. Also, the rhizomes are even dead, so it's been an atrophy over time, and I'm just ready to either get 
something, uh, a different version of, of uh, San Augustine that I can spot in there mm-hmm. or that's resistant or just some other seed that will grow. I don't, I don't care if it's portulaca. This, so it's, <laughs> it's green, green and, and, you know, fairly fine. It doesn't make big clumps, and it, you can mow it, you know? Do you, do you know what strain of St. Augustine you started with, or was it just no, what it we was, call common? it was here. It was here when, when I came 25 years ago, and the mm-hmm. yard was, the house was built in 1983, which would be, you know, 36 years ago or something right. like that. And, and it, it, and I think the owner then was a pretty vigorous gardener, had a lot of a lot more things planted than needed, and I suspect they used fertilizer and so on. And, and but everybody's lawn was everybody's lawn in town was greener mm-hmm. and more vigorous. And it, it, the guys down here don't even have to use an edger hardly anymore because it sure. doesn't grow with concrete anymore. Okay. You know. Well, <laughs> there there are two or three things. First of all, Saint Augustine is a very good grass in that it is never has sugars has the longest green season of any grass it's soft to walk on play on whatever else um on the other hand it you know you can't stop watering it you stop watering it it dies uh bermuda grasses and zoysia grasses they uh, have a much shorter green season they're going to brown out with the first frost they're going to be the last grasses to come back in the spring so and they will definitely have chiggers in them on the other hand if you let them get dry they turn brown but as you described on so many of the lawns as soon as you get a rain they're back and green again so there if you switch grasses you are um you know you're you're trading one issue for another you're saint augustine you have to water if you're here in san antonio i'd tell you definitely go with some other type of grass because we flat don't have the water in san antonio in the hill country to maintain an acre of grass down where you are you've got you know a much more consistent water supply and i'd rather see you putting water on your grass than giving up that water to the frackers down there pulling oil out of the ground but um i I think there are a couple of possibilities you may have some sort of fungus moving in that uh and and saint augustine in fact all grasses are susceptible to different fungal problems and uh uh, if you if you want to start with the minimum, I would put out a couple of applications of uh, just the cheapest cornmeal you can find anywhere. Cornmeal grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma that will knock out brown patch, will knock out rhizoctonia, will knock out most of the fungal problems that you're ever going to see in plants and in the soil. And it's uh, it's not the cornmeal itself. Cornmeal grows this beneficial fungus called trichoderma, but any type of corn will do. Corn chops, cornmeal, don't buy it at the grocery store. Buy the cheapest corn you can find at the feed store. And make an application of that. Repeat it again in about six weeks and see if that doesn't start knocking out some of the problems. I would also hit it, you know, with a good organic fertilizer. Medina's probably going to be your easiest one to find down there. And uh, I think those two things are going to make a big difference with your existing St. Augustine. If you want to go with an improved St. Augustine, there was a variety that came out a number of years ago. Uh, There was a joint project by Texas A&M and by the University of Florida, and that's where they got the the not very creative name of Floritam. And Floritam is our most chinch bug resistant grass. It was developed for coastal areas where 
you have a lot of problems. You're not quite to the coast, but you're closer to the coast than you are, you know, to the hill country. And if you want to plug, put some plugs of a different, stronger St. Augustine in there, you could buy a few squares of floor tam, put them in there, do it before the weather gets real hot, because this time of year they will get started a lot more quickly and easily. Were it mine, if I had the water supply that you do, I would do both. I'd put some St. August or some uh, Floritam St. Augustine plugs in there, and uh, I would do the cornmeal. I'd make at least one application of a good organic fertilizer, and um, I suspect that by early summer, you know, you'll start seeing a big change. Now we didn't talk about uh, uh, grub worms. I'm sure you know what June bugs are, and you probably would have brought them up if you've had any increase in those things, because St. Augustine, as all grasses are, susceptible to some grub worm damage. But it, from what you're describing to me, it sounds like more of a gradual decline, which to me suggests that uh, you know you may have some sort of disease issue going on. It's probably fungal. And you'd be amazed at how that cornmeal will take care of it. I think everybody in town has fungal. Yeah. And and this and 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 uh, rust is a fungus. Of course. And and uh, I learned that when I was young because I was allergic to the wheat rust. Right. Uh, but I think you're on that. And I was looking for the Floritam or some name of some mutation or whatever. Where might I find a little bit of that, uh, or just ask for it by name? Or, yeah, ask for it by or, name. Any anyone okay. that produces uh, grass will certainly have it. It is by far the most common grass in South Texas. Be sure you're getting, uh, you know, a good, uh, you know, good healthy grass and plant it immediately. It cannot remain stacked. The great majority of it is grown over in Bay City, but there are also some smaller growers. Uh, between you and San Antonio. So uh, I'd ask, if, you know, whatever nursery, and, and what town are you closest to down there? Beeville, and I'll, I'll ask the local guys by name, and they'll, they'll know that. They'll yeah, know that. you've... Uh, the other things, throw a, little, throw a little ground corn down on it, and, and that'll help me out. I just, I just need to overcome this <laughs> decline, which yep. has been endemic to a certain strain of the, of the grass and, and uh, across the city, but... And the water in practice, I mean, I've looked at every water in practice, and they're all suffering now, maybe sure. not as much as mine or more, but that's what I need is a Floritam. Well, the Floritam and the cornmeal, and, and yeah. any time you're buying sprinkler equipment, whether it's for 1,000 acres or for one acre, you're looking for something that produces large droplets close to the ground. And, uh, uh, again, we were looking at that, you know, flying over all the desert between here and Las Vegas last week. And, uh, you know, where we used to see these big pivot irrigators that sprayed the water up in the air and about half of it just went straight on up as water vapor. Now all the people that are doing it properly, you know, have those hoses hanging down. They're putting out the water right at ground level. They've reduced their water use by 50% or more. Even where you're watering with sprinklers, it makes a big difference the type of sprinkler hedge you have. If you're using impact sprinklers, you know, get the ones that make the biggest drop and put that little shield down on the front so you're keeping it as low to the ground as possible because uh, we all need to be conserving water even when we seem to have plenty of it. I put my motor motorized sprinkler heads on a on a uh, um, a T shaped piece of PVC mm-hmm. and and make a and make a sprinkler out of that and I do keep it pretty low. Yeah, you're doing and, it right. And so so I'm I'm on that track, but I just need the floor tam. You need the floor tam and you need the cornmeal. Yeah, I need to plug in to my weakest spots and floor tam. And this year is looks like a 
a friendly spring. <laughs> it's to be a I great think, year to establish uh, grass. Uh, 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 well, it's the right time. I thank you a million, Bob. Okay. Well, it's always a pleasure, Joe. Call any time we can be of any help. It's always good to talk right. to you. Mm, thank right, you, sir. Bye.